I would do a dance of rejection. I would rather receive a dance of rejection, honestly. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, maybe less fun. <laughs> Except the part where you're getting rejected by the dance. That's true. Yeah, but if it's them, it's you know, just kind of dancing out their feelings. And it doesn't have to be about all the specific ways that I've failed. But I can just kind of mm. get like, mm, it's not working out for them. And yeah. I know what this ritual means. Maybe it'd be mm. a little bit easier. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about rejection. Weep, womp. So during this time when a lot of people are starting to get back out into the dating scene a little bit more, rejection's bound to show up. It's just a part of life. It's going to happen. And in addition to romantic rejection, it can also show up in big and small ways at work, in friendships, or other parts of our lives. There are about a gazillion articles out there about how to handle rejection or deal with a breakup. So today what we're doing is we're going to explore rejection, sift through some of the bullshit, and work on finding a better understanding of rejection, how we can actually best cope with it and handle it in our lives. I'm amazed we haven't done an episode on this before, quite frankly. Because yeah, I, I guess know. the closest is like breakups, right? Yeah, we've breakups. We've done and we've done stuff about I think people rejecting you or judging you if you're non-monogamous or polyamorous, which overlaps with some of this, maybe a little bit, especially yeah, in the we've dating danced scene. Around it. Yeah, I've done a little rejectiony dance, a dance of rejection, one might say. <laughs> I wonder what that would look like. Fascinating. But hey, yeah. I'm the one who's always been campaigning for instead of using words, can we interpretive dance our feelings and communication mm. to each other? Yeah. And you have wanted that for a long time. I would do a dance of rejection. I would rather receive a dance of rejection, honestly. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, maybe less fun. <laughs> Except the part where you're getting rejected by the dance. True. Yeah, yeah, but if it's them, it's you personal. Know, just kind of dancing out their feelings. And it doesn't have to be about all the specific ways that I've failed, but I can just mm. kind of get like, mm, it's not working out for them. And yeah. I know what this ritual means. Maybe it'd be mm. a little bit easier. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. So to start out, what is rejection all about, right? We love to start there. Let's just get some definitions out there. This one comes from goodtherapy.org. And they define it as the act of pushing someone or something away. It can be experienced by one's family of origin, a friend, a romantic partner, and one can also experience rejection from groups or communities, whether those are professional communities or personal communities. And when we're talking about these things, of course, rejection often has attached to it, you know, feelings of sadness, of grief, of shame, when you're not accepted by your romantic partner or a potential partner or a friend or your family. I'm going to read a direct quote from goodtherapy.org. The feeling of rejection is believed to have developed as an evolutionary tool to alert early humans who are at risk of being ostracized from the tribe they belong to. A painful rejection from others in the tribe was likely to encourage an individual to modify any problematic behavior in order to avoid further rejection or ostracism from the tribe. 
those who were able to avoid further rejection were more likely to survive, while those who did not find rejection to be particularly painful may not have corrected the offending behavior and making them less likely to survive. In this way, humans may have evolved to experience rejection as painful. Now, it's really interesting when we put it that way, because I think that the superpower that maybe many of us would like to have, and also perhaps the trait that a lot of self-help might be encouraging people to have is this idea of like, oh, don't, don't, don't worry about rejection. Just feel mm. the fear and do it anyway. Or there's like that book, mm. Rejection Proof, you know, just go in and get right. rejected and get used to it and you'll be fine. And while there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that, it is interesting to think about it from an evolutionary perspective that rejection is painful because it got us to adapt our behavior in ways that would make it, it more survivable, would make life more survivable, essentially. Yeah, like we've talked before about shame also. It's like, I, at least for me, it helps. Maybe this doesn't help anyone else. But for me, it helps to kind of remember like, this thing I'm experiencing is not because I'm broken or something's wrong with me. But like, I'm struggling with this and I'm having a hard time with it because this is a thing that me and thousands of years of my ancestors evolved to help us, like to help us be more social. And unfortunately, it can get out of hand and it can backfire. And in our modern day where we're connected with people less personally, like through online interactions, and we're just interacting with larger numbers of people in more superficial ways, I think mm -hmm. some of these things that may have been beneficial to us in the past can kind of hurt us. But at least it helps me have a little compassion for myself and, and how my brain works to be like, you know what, the fact I'm feeling this isn't in itself a bad thing. I'm just going to find a way to, to try to manage it better so that it's not negatively affecting my life. So rejection still can be a pretty challenging thing to go through, regardless of whether or not we spend time dissecting it and seeing that it is like a psychological or a, a physiological response or something that happens over for a long period of time, and that's an evolutionary response or something to that effect. And there are psychological effects that can happen due to rejection, and they can include things like trauma, depression, physical pain response, anxiety and stress, and abuse. And I'm interested in this last one. Does that mean to you that like abuse happens because you feel rejection and then therefore like abuse might occur to somebody else or that you feel abused because of the reject? I'm not totally sure how this one fit into this list. You know, we grabbed these from a number of different articles and studies talking about it. I think it's more that rejection like can either have similar attributes to abuse, like abuse can be sort of a form of rejection to that person. Or potentially, like you were saying, Emily, it could be about then kind of perpetuating that cycle out to other people. But that those feelings of rejection, right, of being told like you're not good enough or you're not wanted or you're not desired here, like that very much fits in with, you know, a lot of emotional abuse tactics and stuff like that, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. Now, we wanted to do a quick shout out to Stevie Lang again, who was in our last episode, who brought something up called rejection-sensitive dysphoria. And this is just a note on neurodivergence. So rejection-sensitive dysphoria is common in many, many people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. 
and fear of rejection may occur so regularly in individuals with ADHD that some refer to it as rejection-sensitive dysphoria. And essentially what that means is that, I guess the reason why we're bringing it up is because that's a little bit different than what we're talking about in this episode, that Mm -hmm. that's this intense physiological response to perceived rejection not always actual rejection, but it's it's more that it's a very physical, physiological response. And so the mechanisms for coping with that well are a little bit different than what we're talking about in this episode. We will talk a little bit about some things that you can do and point you to some resources in the second half of the episode when we're talking about some techniques. But we did just want to acknowledge that if that is your experience, that, you know, don't, again, don't take it to mean that this episode, if you're like, that just seems impossible, that that means there's something wrong with you. It's like, no, this is, there might be different techniques that you will need to take care of yourself in that case. So to start out, we're going to talk about our first study here because we love talking about studies. And this one is about rejection and particularly rejection from people that we deem to be important and how impactful that is to us. So this is from a paper called Perceived Parental Acceptance, Rejection, and Psychological Adjustment, a Meta-Analysis of Cross-Cultural and Intracultural Studies. This was published in the Journal of Family and Marriage in 2002. So here's here's basically the gist of it. This paper presents a meta-analysis of 43 different studies around the world on the relationship between perceived parental acceptance or rejection and the psychological development and adjustment of the people who experienced it. These studies were conducted anywhere between 1976 and 2000, and oh, they each study. used... Yeah, I know. Well, this is a bunch of different studies, right? This is I say, yeah. comparing 43 different studies between those time periods. Mm-hmm. And in them, they used questionnaires as well as parental exception rejection questionnaires. So, sorry, personality questionnaires and then parental acceptance rejection questionnaires to assess how adults reflected on their experiences of being accepted or rejected by their parents. And in doing this meta-analysis, the authors were trying to test how universal the parental acceptance rejection theory is, or part theory or par theory, I don't quite know how you're supposed to say this because the T is the theory, par theory, part, maybe just part, just call it part. I think we just, I think we just kind of do a little slant rhyme here and just call it part, part theory. Okay, great. Nice. So basically, this is a theory of socialization that attempts to predict and explain the impacts, consequences, and other things of parental acceptance and rejection globally, like across different cultures. Is it universal? Or is it specific to certain cultures or regional differences that could impact the relationship between parental acceptance and rejection and then later psychological adjustment? So according to this theory, the idea is that, of course, human beings have evolved a really strong need for a positive response from the people that are important, which for most of us starts out as our parents or our caregivers. And when we're small, that need includes parental affection, care, comfort, support, nurturance, or just love and acceptance. And the theory postulates that if this need is unmet by significant others, humans have a tendency to develop a particular set of what they call like socio-emotional and cognitive dispositions, such as 
you know, things like hostility, aggression, or passive aggression, problems with managing your own hostility and aggression, either dependence or defensive independence, an impaired sense of self-esteem, an impaired sense of self-adequacy, emotional unresponsiveness, emotional instability, or an overall negative worldview. This sounds a lot like attachment theory to me. Or at least yeah, like... Yeah, I imagine there's some intersections there as sure. well. Exactly, because essentially so much of attachment theory feels like it is based off of what happens to you in your early life and with your parents. And this essentially is saying maybe some of these things will happen if you're, what, anxiously attached? Uh, right. I mean, it's kind of mm. just a different framework looking at maybe similar concepts of mm-hmm. how our relationship was with our parents or caregivers when we were children. Potentially, but I feel like a rejection from your parents, it could cause any number of maladaptive attachment sure. strategies, right? I don't think that would necessarily set you up for one more so than the other. But, yeah. but I, you know, there's me just armchair attachment theorizing. <laughs> Yeah, right. no, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess I pulled anxiously attached out because that's the one that I tend to be, but yes. <laughs> All right, so this is a quote from this paper. Evidence provided in this meta-analysis overwhelmingly supports the postulate in part theories, personality sub-theory that perceived parental acceptance rejection is associated particularly with a specific constellation of personality disposition that collectively reveals one state of psychological adjustment. So in other words, cultural differences, they don't seem to matter all too much when analyzing the relationship between people's perceived parental acceptance or their rejection and their psychological adjustment. So it's worldwide. I mean, it it happens whatever culture, wherever you come from. Basically, the conclusion of this, like the point Mm -hmm. of both these papers that we're going to get to is, is like, this is real and it's important and it impacts people. So essentially, just regardless of where you're from, regardless of what your experience is, if you are rejected in some way as a young person, it does matter. It is potentially going to alter the way in which you develop as a human being. And so that's just something to be aware of and something to think back on, in my opinion, like looking at your life and looking at where you came from and your history. And I guess I'd say the key takeaway there is to realize just that rejection is important and it matters. It's not just something you can go, oh yeah, no, don't worry about it. Like rejection's not a big deal. It's like, no, it is it is a big deal actually. But if this is you, this doesn't mean that you're ruined forever. But to be gentle with yourself and be caring for yourself and just realize this is a real thing that has real effects on people. Hmm. The next study that we wanted to talk about was kind of an interesting one. And this is talking about uh, well, here, I'll just read the the title of the study is Rejection May Hurt More Than Feelings, which is the name of the New York Times article. The study that it's talking about actually has a much more boring title. But <laughs> this is a title from 2011 by psychologists at the University of Michigan. And they found that the same areas in the brain that signify physical pain are activated at moments of intense social loss. So for this, they recruited 40 volunteers. It's a fairly small study, but they recruited 40 people who had recently experienced intense rejection from a breakup. Basically, they had just experienced a bad breakup. And they did MRI scans, took pictures of the participants' brain activity. After each volunteer viewed pictures of their exes or thought wow. about a specific rejection experience with that person, And 
Later, the volunteers were also asked to look at a photo of a friend and think about a recent positive experience they had with that person. So to determine if the emotional pain was comparable to a physical one, these same volunteers also experienced a, quote, hot trial, which simulates the experience of spilling hot coffee on themselves. They didn't actually burn them. I don't know how they do this. I don't know how I they do this. I have spilled hot coffee on myself at work and it is horrifying. It's right. really bad. I need to know how they did this. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. We can I'm look like, into that later. Try to figure it out. But they somehow simulated this experience to get like, what does it look like when you're actually experiencing pain mm. so that then they could compare those brain images to see what parts of the brain were, were reacting. Wow. This is interesting because I, I'm fascinated. Like, have you two ever been broken up with? I feel like both of you are so cool. Like, probably never. Gosh. <laughs> of course I have. What are you of talking course, about? Geez. I'm a human being oh. and I'm polyamorous, which means that just by sheer numbers, <laughs> I'm willingly exposing myself to a lot more rejection. That's on true. The, like, low stakes, you know, just kind of like first date kind of level, mm. as well as the more ongoing relationship kind of level. Of course I've been sure. broken up with. Absolutely. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I Have don't you know. Been, if, you've been broken up with, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. I'm self-flagellating and saying, yes, I have absolutely been broken up with. But no, it just, I, I recall talking about it a lot when that happened to like my mom and a bunch of people around me. And my mom eventually was just mm-hmm. like, just like, stop, stop talking about it. Just stop it, which I do get. But reading these studies, I feel like I'm validated here by my experience of like this really Uh blue and it was awful and it felt like it was out of nowhere. And yeah, just I'm thinking of one particular breakup. So I don't know. That's fascinating. And that the pain receptors, because it does feel like very physically painful sometimes in those moments and that that can in essence be the same thing. Like your brain is like firing off similar things. Yeah, well, here's a direct quote from that study. Quote, bad breakups and hot coffee elicited a similar response in the brain, at least as measured by the fMRI machines. Previous research had shown that while social rejection hurt, it did not activate parts of the brain associated with physical distress. But this team found that when the emotional pain was awful enough, those parts of the brain were affected as well and an equal part. According to the authors, the emotional pain simulated in previous experiments wasn't powerful enough to elicit a true-to-life response. So there's a certain amount of threshold here Mm. where our social rejection is painful, 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 and then it gets painful enough that our physical pain receptors start to fire. And I wonder if it has to be like in the moment or, or, yeah, I don't know, like something like really intense in the moment. Like if, if it's just a rejection by someone that, is on the internet, maybe. And you're like, well... But you know uh, what? Okay. I don't know. I'm going yeah, to whip please. out something from my SE training. <laughs> oh. Something, something that they say all the time about trauma in particular is that trauma is not in the event. It's in how your nervous system reacts to the event. And so mm. what that means is something that traumatized you may not necessarily traumatize somebody else and vice versa. And I imagine it's probably the same with rejection here, right? Is that someone rejecting you, a stranger rejecting you on the internet, to someone, they may brush that off very easily. And to someone else, it could be intense enough pain that it's the hot coffee response. So I or imagine that... in different moments to the same person. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I imagine that there's not necessarily a universal scale of which rejection or which That's types true. of social rejection are worse. It's probably just dependent on the individual. Absolutely. And it goes back to something I think that we 
keep coming back to on this show, which is just to remember that each person and each experience is different. And that just because someone else had a certain experience and is like, oh yeah, whatever, no big deal for me, it could be a big deal for you. And that doesn't mean something's wrong with either of you Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And I guess to get super Buddhist about it too, like you're never the same person in two different moments in time, right? Mm. The next millisecond, you're now a new instance of you. You're you're a different person than you were a millisecond ago. And if you think about that over days and years, that yeah, like that's we are constantly different. And I guess just sort of acknowledging that that this is very different for different people and different experiences, and it's real serious stuff that has significant effects on us even down to feeling physical pain. So now we want to go on to talk about what not to do (laughs) to cope with rejection and some things that you should do that might be helpful for you when coping with rejection. But first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some sponsors for this show and some ways that you can support this. If this content is stuff that's valuable to you and is helping you, please consider checking out our sponsors or checking out our Patreon so that you can help keep this show coming to everyone out there for free. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection and now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Okay, so we are back. We've established that rejection is a real thing. It can have very serious emotional impacts on us. I definitely know from experience it had serious emotional impacts on me. I'm sure all of you can relate to that. But because of that, and not surprisingly, there are, there's a lot of different pieces of advice out there on how to cope with rejection, but many of them are not particularly great. So 
Let's start with some commonly seen pieces of advice that are actually more likely to harm you and others than to help you. So we're going to talk about quite a few of them and spend a little bit of time on each of them. So the first one, oh boy, (laughs) this is like (laughs) what many, many like dirty, hairy movies are about, and that's getting revenge or doing things like... rejection. I mean, maybe not rejection. (laughs) You rejected this person by like, I don't know, well, or like fistful of dollars. I haven't seen these movies, but I'm throwing it out. (laughs) I've heard of it. Okay, revenge. Clearly, there's a very strong link in your mind between revenge and Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that was like his whole thing, right? Okay. I think more likely where we see revenge show up in media would be on... Shows that deal with relationships, right? Sure. Like, think, you know, Sex in the City or something like that, where it's like, oh, that whole like, oh yeah, like, you know how you can get over him is like to sleep with his friend or or like to do this thing to make him so jealous or like some kind yeah. of trying to yes. get revenge, right? As a way I'm of, watch- of yes, like empowering yourself, I guess is what it's going for. Sure, I'm watching The Office, and yes, a lot of people mm. do stuff like that. Like, right. I'm going to get back by doing the rebound or whatever, showing up and looking so hot, which is fine. But there are more, I guess, angry, worse ways of getting revenge that are probably yeah, what we should be going towards. More on the Clint Eastwood end of the spectrum. There you go. But to, to bring <laughs> it back from that side of the spectrum, I mean, there's, I think a couple of years ago, the whole concept of the revenge body yes. was a thing mm. of if mm. you've been dumped or rejected in some way, you deal with that rejection by going out and just getting super hot so that they mm-hmm. feel so sad that they rejected you in the first place. But I think a lot of the toxic ways we see this show up, though, is more just like talking shit on social media. Yeah. right. It's like yeah. posting bad things about this person who broke up with you or who didn't want to go out with you or... Or talking to their friends or other potential people in your circle about how shitty they are. Right. And maybe they were, but maybe they just rejected you. <laughs> I think we see this a lot, too. I think women on dating apps experience this a lot, even with that first, like, oh, no, I'm not interested. Ah, oh, you bitch, you're such a terrible person. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Right? That's that's that reaction. That's like mm-hmm. in an instant over a very small rejection. But we this also happens on, on larger scales, too. And it's not helpful. It doesn't help them get over it. And it certainly doesn't help the person you're doing this to or anyone else. So this is bad advice. Don't, yeah. don't give people this advice, please. Also, the next one is picking at the person's flaws. I think that this is very much a thing that happens when you were broken up with and you feel like, well, I'm better off without this person, which maybe you are. But I I think, again, if it's an outward reaction, like I'm going to tell everybody else about this person's flaws and talk about how shitty they are, that perhaps that's not helpful. And and ultimately, maybe not helpful in you getting over it either. Right. I think that's more, more what this is about, is even just for yourself. That like trying to convince yourself that that person wasn't any good might mm. seem like, you know, trying to find all the things wrong with them might seem like that's somehow helpful or validating for you. But again, it's it's putting all of this focus on needing to define yourself by them either way right it's not actually getting at the problem here it's not actually getting at healing your pain or processing how you're feeling it's 
focusing on on this kind of almost like you're trying to do this mental arithmetic of like, oh, if I can come up with the equation for how they're bad enough, then I will feel better. And that's just not how our brains work. That's just not how it works. Another one on the opposite end of that and something I know well is picking at your own flaws and talking about, Mm. well, I didn't deserve this person, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes that is really not helpful and, and ultimately can hinder the healing process, I think, for sure. Yeah. I think I see this happen a lot, and I've definitely done this a lot. If I've been rejected and I don't exactly know 100% why, mm. like if someone ghosts you or yeah. if someone says no to you or rejects you in some way without giving what feels to me like a sufficient explanation, and not that you're entitled to an explanation, but I do think our brains have this tendency to want to complete things and want to complete the puzzle. Want to know. Want, yeah, want to know, want to find the answer. And so you can go through the full gamut of this, right? You can go from picking them apart to picking yourself apart, all in this mm. intense need to be like, I need to find the reason. I need to find the thing to pin it on so that my brain can feel like we've completed the sentence, we've completed the puzzle. Yeah. yeah. And so to think about this also from the point of view of someone giving advice to someone, I mean, generally, we're not going to give the advice of like, you should pick apart your own flaws, and try to find out what's wrong with you. But we do often give in trying to support someone who is grieving a rejection or a breakup of trying to pick apart the person that they're no longer in a relationship with of trying to come up with like, oh, well, yeah, I didn't like this thing about them or oh, I didn't like that thing. And again, it's like, I know you're trying to be helpful, but that's not ultimately going to help them get over it. It might actually make it worse because their mind is going to struggle with trying to reconcile that instead of focusing on their own process of getting through it. Another maladaptive coping mechanism for rejection is choosing to date or hook up with or have sex with someone who maybe you're not particularly interested in, but you know they're interested in you as a way of boosting your ego. And Mm. let's be fair that, of course, we just said rejection, it's like burning yourself with hot coffee. There is an injury (laughs) here. Maybe not a permanent injury, but it is an injury. And sometimes when we're in the depth of the hot coffee sensation, it's literally anything to stop it from feeling like hot coffee. You know, like literally anything. And if that means maybe making some less than ethical choices or making some kind of selfish choices just to be able to get a little bit of relief, that sometimes that's how we make I guess, not kind decisions regarding who you relate to and who we have sex with. And I say this being like 100% I've done this in the past. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you not? Um, Am I the weird No, I have. I totally have like slept with an ex after that person broke up with me. Oh, oh, oh I've done that one. That's a whole other. That's, <laughs> that's just a whole other, other maladaptive yeah. coping <laughs> mechanism. That was nice. Of course, I've done that. Yeah, and slash also like not great. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But then also in this case, you're kind of passing along some feelings of rejection to that person when you don't want to keep being in a relationship sure. with them. And, you know, that's not making the world a better place. Yeah. 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 I mean, and this is not to say that you can't have a rebound, you can't go out and enjoy pleasure or hooking up with somebody after you've been rejected. Like, by all means, go and do that. But I, I think this is referring more to when maybe we're taking advantage of somebody else for exactly. the sake of making yeah. ourselves feel good. Right. Yeah. 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 Another coping mechanism uh, could be considering yourself cursed. Now, what we mean by this is letting this rejection feed into a particular narrative that you have about yourself as, oh, I always get rejected. I'm unlovable. I'm undesirable. I'm not attractive enough. 
no one's ever going to love me because I am XYZ. No one's ever going to want to connect to me because I'm non-monogamous or because I like this particular kink or because I'm into this particular type of person. Like I'm always going to be rejected. And I don't know why our brains do this. Maybe this is part of the whole wanting to complete it, wanting to make sure it fits into the pattern, you know, wanting it to make the threads all align. I want a reason. Yeah, wanting a reason, yeah. right? Okay, well, the reason yeah. is because I'm just someone who's not lovable. I'm someone who's not dateable. Therefore, it makes sense why I'd be rejected. And it's kind of a crappy conclusion to come to, but I can see how that satisfies that little bit of an itch that our mm. brains can have for wanting it all to just make sense for once. <laughs> and another one, oh, this is one that I feel like this is sometimes my go-to. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, which is just to stop caring about anything and not in like a cool, very chilled out, enlightened way. I think again, in a bad and unhealthy way. I know for myself when I've been rejected in either big ways or in small ways, whether that's a big major painful breakup or just like a partner who rejected a bid, let's say, Mm. if Mm. it's painful enough for me, it will very much activate, I guess what I would call part of my avoidant uh, attachment strategy of kind of like, oh my God, then I'm never going to ask them for anything again. I'm never going to date anyone again. I'm never going to let myself get hurt like this again. I'm never going to connect to someone like this again. I'm just going to stop caring. That's very much, it's in my arsenal. It's in my little mm. tool books of bad tools, bad, bad tools. Yeah. I, it's definitely one that I've gone to before as well of just kind of I think of it almost like kind of a shutting down of like, oh, well, it's not worth it. It's just, I got to protect myself. That matters most. And just kind of cut myself off from caring about anything, not even just other relationships or something, but just kind of like everything, just kind of trying to be numb, I guess. And that might sound like, well, yeah, okay, we don't want to do that. That sounds bad. But no one would give that advice, right? (laughs) Right? Right. In researching this episode, Kiana came across an article by relationship coach Mark Summers. And I think this will probably sound, sadly, not unfamiliar to a lot of people. Quote, It's important to understand that giving too much of a shit about what she's doing and why she's doing it only robs you of your power. And women are crazy about the guys who care the least. She doesn't care about the guy buying flowers, dressing up, and treating her like a princess. Um, She cares about the guy who doesn't show up on time, doesn't buy her shit, and doesn't treat her special at all. It makes no sense, but that's the way it is. So, good good job, my voice. Good, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So, like misogyny and bullshit aside, I think that it comes from that place of fear and of pain, and unfortunately, in this very unhealthy, not helpful way. But I think so much of that kind of like pickup artisty asshole guy bullshit like comes from this really maladaptive way of dealing with the pain of rejection. And it sucks that this is where we go. But I guess I just wanted to bring that up as like an evidence of no, this very much is a way that people cope with it and even tell other people to cope with it. Thinking mm-hmm. that this is relate people who call themselves thing. relationship coaches, right? Yeah, I also yeah. don't think that this is necessarily even something that's gender specific. I mean, I think this is the particular flavor that gets packaged to a lot of straight guys, but yeah. there's a slightly different flavor that I think gets packaged to a lot of straight women along yep. the same lines, yep. which is a Definitely little bit across that. Well, it's kind of the same thing. It's a little bit of like, oh, you got to play like the boys play, 
and just fuck who you want, Not be selfish, don't give a shit, mm-hmm. don't text him back, make him wait, you know, like there is still a little bit of that let's protect ourselves in very harsh ways that are not mm-hmm. just harsh on other people, but harsh on ourselves as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not even helpful to ourselves. Yeah. No. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about good stuff. Let's talk about healthy ways to cope with rejection. So from various articles, we've put together a list of some of the most effective ways to process rejection in a healthier manner. Better than just like not giving a shit and <laughs> going all Clint Eastwood, you know? Okay. Right. <laughs> All Don't right. do that. Do I, do, get this, to, no. do I get to wear a cool poncho I at hope the very so. least? Okay, number one, <laughs> allow yourself to feel it. Don't deny the very real emotions you're having. So you're feeling shit. Yes, it happens. And allow yourself to go through it. Like this comes up a lot and most people understand it, but you should try to feel your emotions without adding like, a story to it if you can, if that's possible. And that's difficult because we all come to things with our own cognitive biases, with our own interpretation of what occurred. But if you can just sort of exist in the emotional life of what's happening, I think that's an ideal place to start. It's this important distinction between experiencing your feelings and then like wallowing in a bunch of misery and a bunch of unhappiness. I, yeah, I just wanted to share. I actually had some personal experience with this the other day because I got rejected for that Shakespeare audition. Actually. <gasps> oh, was, no. I forgot about that, Dedeker. Sorry. No, it's okay. I finally got the email where they were just like, yeah, sorry, you know, like, I don't know, something like that, you know, please apply for, you know, the general casting director kind of polite, yeah, whatever. No. Right. A polite no. I, I mean, they, the fact that they even rejected you at all as opposed right, to just right. like ghosted okay, yeah. you, good job. And that's the thing. I do have a big body of experience in acting. You deal with rejection all the time, right? And to a certain extent, you start to get used to it and you start to almost expect it sometimes. Or sometimes you even think it's lucky that they even let you know. And so my first impulse was to be kind of like from my more active acting days of just like, okay, well, that's kind of a bummer, but whatever. I'm just going to move on, like distract myself, like focus on other things. But then I was like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to let myself sit here and like actually feel it, you know? And it wasn't like a huge rejection. It was pretty low stakes, but I was like, I'm going to like close my laptop and just like sit there and just let myself actually feel what I'm feeling. And I did. It took like three minutes, you know, just to kind of feel the feelings go through and it didn't produce anything necessarily. It's not like I started crying or suddenly felt really happy or whatever. I just like felt it and then was able to move on in a way that, I don't know, I think was better. That felt better than it ever had back in my acting days. And I think there was something about that, that I think there's something about the stuff that we do to try to get away (laughs) from feeling it. The resistance to the pain makes the pain much more intense. And even with something like this, where I wouldn't call it like a very highly painful situation. And so, I don't know. I It felt nice to experience that with what I felt was like kind of a small rejection. And I'm curious to experiment with that more with bigger rejections. And I think I would actually recommend that to people as well of like maybe try just feeling it with small stuff at first and just see what you learn about yourself and what happens in your body and how your emotions move through. I love that. And to get practice with feeling it without needing to like amp it back up. Mm. So it's not like, 
oh yeah, I'm going to really wallow in like how bad I feel or like how much this means I suck or whatever. It's just like, just kind of feel what you're feeling without adding anything to it and just kind of let that happen. And that's, it's easier said than done. So I think that's a really great idea of starting with smaller things like that. Yeah. Okay. This is a quote from Living Beautifully with Uncertainty and Change by Pima Chodron, which is actually quoting from another book, one of Jason, my favorites, In My Stroke of Insight by the brain scientist Jill Bolte-Taylor. So this is a book about her recovery from a massive stroke. Taylor explains the physiological mechanism behind emotion, an emotion like anger that an automatic response lasts just 90 seconds from the moment it's triggered until it runs its course. One and a half minutes, that's all. When it lasts any longer, which it usually does, it's because we've chosen to rekindle it. I think we talk about that a lot on this show, that like so many emotions and and also like the time that it takes to kind of let an emotion go, maybe, or let like a feeling go, it doesn't take that long. So if you allow yourself to like really fully experience it, as opposed to maybe like trying to ramp it back up or trying to like talk to yourself about it over and over and over again, I think that's there's something like really beautiful to be said for that. And so many of us just like don't allow ourselves to process. And also to clarify, I'm like, I don't think we're ever saying, oh, yeah, just wait 90 seconds and then you'll feel great and you'll be able to oh, let sure. it go and, and everything right. will be fixed. But there is something about just letting your body let it go and yeah. feel it and kind of start to come down back into homeostasis after being in like a survival mode where you may still feel anger and feel angry about the thing that happened, but it's not like completely subsuming you and yes. making you lose control of of how you're communicating. Yeah. So some some ideas for just how to do that, even if you're only able to do it for a few seconds and then you go back into, you know, spiraling and thinking about it, like even just getting used to taking just a couple seconds to take a moment to just say like, where do I feel this in my body? Does it stay the same? Does it move around? Does it feel different? Does it have a color or a texture mm-hmm. or just kind of like ask yourself questions that's about the experience rather than about the story that you're putting on the experience. And even if you can just do that for a few seconds, it can be really helpful in in the long run of getting you out of that cycle, just breaking that up a little bit. We did want to also take a moment here to talk again about rejection-sensitive dysphoria that that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. And just something to be aware of here is that if you're someone who experiences that, that it's a much more heightened, like physiological kind of overstimulation, essentially, at a perceived rejection that maybe hasn't even actually happened. And so in this case, it's important that before you try to do any kind of thinking through it or processing through it, that you first regulate yourself and kind of get your body back into regulation. and. Depending on how you experience it, that may be a long process or it may be a quicker one. But an example of something that might be helpful is to look into DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. That's something that Stevie recommended as a really good resource for that. It's something that's been shown in a lot of studies to be really helpful for kind of personally de-escalating. But also other self-soothing techniques and things like that can be useful. So just, again, to kind of keep that in mind of Essentially, this step is take care of yourself first 
whether that means just sitting and feeling it or more proactively kind of de-escalating your physiological response. So next strategy that we can recommend is to practice self-validation. This is otherwise known as putting up some boundaries with your inner critic. So here's a quote from a Medium article by Manj Bahra called A Complete Guide to Letting Go of Romantic Rejection. Quote, It's easy to allow a negative outcome to create false beliefs about ourselves, like we're unworthy or unlovable. When you let the result dictate your sense of self, you unconsciously seek evidence that proves your belief. Every situation becomes an opportunity to find more proof that you are hopeless in relationships. This is nothing more than cognitive bias at work. Instead of looking at the facts, we search for confirmation of our limiting beliefs. I, I also, for something completely unrelated, was doing research on like neural pathways and rewiring our brains and neuroplasticity and things like that. And this reminds me of, of what's come up a lot in the research that I've been doing is this idea that when we want to shift a neural pathway, essentially there's kind of a competitive nature to our wiring. So what that means is it's not just about stopping a particular inner story or narrative. It's also about creating a new neural pathway as well, about putting in also that practice of self-validation at the same time, in addition to trying to limit the the self-critique that's going on. Yeah. In the audiobook, The Worthy Project, which I just listened to recently, she talked about kind of this inner critic that you have, that, that we all have, right? That inner voice that's telling us we're not enough or we're not living up to what we should be. She talks about this idea of having boundaries with that inner voice. And I was like, wow, I love that idea of, again, it's a boundary totally inside yourself, something that you get to enforce yourself. But it's when that voice comes up and says those things, even if you agree with what that voice is saying, to know, wait, hold on, that's that inner critic voice. I'm going to put up this boundary and say, nope, hold on, that's not that's not the talk that we're going to have right now, internal voice. And instead, to replace it, again, the same idea of replacing it with some other pathway, is take a moment to tell yourself, quote, one true thing. And mm. some examples that she gave in this case was, tell yourself one true thing of like, I want to be loved. Or I care a lot about people, or something like that. Try to find something that is true. That you're like, yes, this is actually a true thing to tell yourself that's not just buying into those stories about what you should or shouldn't do as as a good example. So rather than like the opposite of like, no, I'm great and everyone should love me and that person's an idiot. It's just saying, no, no, no. Just go for like what's a true, kind of more neutral, just just true thing, right? Like I I care about people or I want to be loved, or my relationships are important to me, or just something like that that's true for you. Yeah, I, I like the that. idea of it, just finding the one little thing, right? Yeah. It makes it so much simpler, because especially when you're in the throes of all the emotions that a rejection can come up, it can be really hard to try to think about all the positive things, all the validating yeah. things, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that I should be grateful for, and just yeah. finding that one little, little bit of low-hanging fruit for yourself. Mm. So next, drop the resentment. So some of these negative coping strategies that we talked about earlier involve belittling the other person, putting down the person who rejected you, either doing that publicly or to your friends or just privately to yourself. And part of that can come from feeling entitled to somebody else's time, to somebody else's acceptance, to somebody else's affection or for their feelings. 
And so after we've begun processing our own feelings of hurt, we can also recognize that we didn't necessarily lose something that was ours because Mm -hmm. maybe we didn't own their time, own their feelings in the first place. They just made a different decision for themselves based on a zillion different factors, only a fraction of which we can actually know. And again, our culture has this really bad habit of treating certain feelings like love or really strong NRE as being this magical thing. It's something that's meant to be or it's fate. And those kind of beliefs can be dangerous for our own self-worth when we don't get those things, when we think that we were about to get those things and then it gets quote-unquote taken away. It can lead us to be ungrateful for the things that we do receive. It can lead us to do hurtful things to the people that we actually care about. So another part of this process is, I think, really examining you know, were there things that I felt like I owned that were then taken away from me? Were there things that I felt like I was entitled to that then this person blocked me from receiving? And coming to terms with that and finding ways to let that go. That's a real freaking truth right there. Because regardless of whether or not you've been in a relationship with someone for 10 years or 10 days, like you don't own them or their time, even if you are married to them or, you know, whatever. uh, financially entwined like you don't own them so I think that's a really interesting like reframing of ideas around feeling as though oh well I'm entitled to this or I'm entitled to that person and how dare they decide to leave me I think this this always really resonates with me of that idea of thinking about like fate or that something's meant to be Hmm. that that's something that's led me to hurt myself a lot and to hurt other people by believing that stuff. And it's like fed to us constantly from the time that we're very young, these ideas that like it's kind of magical and it's meant to be because then if it doesn't work, you're like justified in either fighting for it when it shouldn't be fought for or really beating yourself up of like, I ruined it, this was my one chance. And we just got to stop telling people those things and stop treating it that way. This is when I always feel like I mention this all the time because it's just that's when I really took me a very long time to get over that way of thinking. Another one is see rejection for what it is. Another fucking opportunity for growth. Love that. Yes. So after we've taken all this time to respect our feelings, we've worked to remove the inner critic cycle. You know, we're, we're not like putting meaning into things that don't deserve it. We can ask ourselves these questions. What opportunities does this open up? They always like, what is it like when God closes a door, a window opens or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> something I'm like not religious. That. Anyways, yeah. um, or what other positive places could I be putting my energy into right now? I love that. That's great. What could be considered good about this? You know, maybe if you do tell yourself like, wow, like maybe there were a couple of red flags there. Shit, like perhaps this is a good thing for me that this didn't work out. And so even if you're only able to half-heartedly identify some potential positives and you don't really believe them, that's that's okay. It's still important to identify them so that you're helping to feed the parts of your mind that are coping and moving in a positive direction. Because, yeah, I mean, again, like even small relationships, even, you know, constellations or things that end quickly, like they still are opportunities for growth because every moment is an opportunity for growth. So... I love that. That's that's a really good one. Yeah. And I, I love that idea that's like, even if you can only kind of half-ass answers to these questions, like that's still a step in the right direction, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. Sometimes that's all it takes to start turning that around for yourself. Hell yeah. And then the last 
of our five things to do for coping with rejection is just to take care of yourself. I know we kind of started with that of taking care of yourself in processing the feelings and not perpetuating those stories. But lastly, it's just take care of yourself kind of bigger picture too. You know, practice whatever kind of self-care works best for you. Spend time with people who care about you. Work on developing other areas of your life. Explore your hobbies or your interests or start working on finding some hobbies or interests if you kind of let that fall to the wayside during this relationship. You know, read a book, treat yourself to stuff you don't, like maybe go for walks that you haven't gone on in a long time, right? Like look for those things. Like what are some things I can be doing that I do get joy out of that maybe I haven't been doing, that maybe I haven't been doing to take care of myself either while coping with this rejection or while I was in that relationship or just I haven't been doing in my life in general. Whatever it is, like look for some of those things and take care of yourself. Treat yourself. <laughs> exactly. All right. This has been great. I feel like this is stuff I wish I could travel back in time and tell myself many times in the past. And hopefully I'm able to take into the future. So thank you so much for joining us. For our bonus for patrons, we're going to dive into a little bit more about how to support a partner or a friend who is dealing with rejection. So kind of looking at some of these from the side of the supporter rather than just the person going through it yourself. So we hope you join us for that. Also, on Instagram, we have our question where we would love to hear from you on what is your favorite healthy way to cope with rejection? Mm. I'm really interested to see what kind of answers we get out there for that. Also, if you want to talk about this episode, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our researcher for this episode is Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.